Well, let's take our Bibles and go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, as we continue in our series here on living life in the liberty of Christ. Looking forward to the message tonight as we go to Galatians chapter 3. Once you've found your place there in Galatians chapter 3, I'll invite you to stand in honor of God's word and we'll read our passage tonight in Galatians chapter 3. So Galatians chapter 3, let's begin our reading in verse number 1 and we'll read through verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He, therefore, that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye, therefore, that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. You know, as we make our way through Galatians, uh, I mean, chapters 1 through 4 are all predominantly doctrinal. And really what they are is they're coming at this doctrinal error that was coming into their church they're coming at it from different angles, approaching different arguments, different aspects of the idea that you need Christ and the law in order to be righteous and acceptable before God. And so uh, the, the tough thing about preaching through this is a lot of times it can be a little bit repetitive and redundant, even the truths and the applications that we're going through. And so I just want to encourage you, don't be bogged down by that because there are really great truths that we're able to unfold through each of these different angles that he comes at the gospel with and so um i just as we read through it you know we just hear so much about faith and law faith and law and it can feel like we're talking about the same exact thing every week and i believe it's because this was a very important thing for them to grasp that they could not get more righteousness by their own power and their own flesh. It had to come from Jesus Christ. So I just wanted to get that out there. The title of our message tonight is this. You can't get what you've already got. And so may God bless you in his word. You can be seated. There are certain things that you just can't get enough of, Right. For me, that would be like ice cream. Can't get enough of ice cream. I could eat tubs of ice cream at a time if I felt like my body could handle it. I would just love to. I love Reese's peanut butter cups. Those are my favorite as well. My wife made some peanut butter Rice Krispie squares. I haven't had those probably since middle school when my mom made them. And 
she made those and some marshmallow uh, Rice Krispie squares as well. And so we've been chomping at those and you just can't get enough. They're kind of uh, on the addicting side. I feel the same way about Culver's. I could eat at Culver's every single day, whether I'm getting burger or chicken or different types of burger or fries or curds or onion rings. Doesn't matter. Could, just couldn't get enough. Sometimes sports can be that way as well. Can't get enough sports talk, sports news, sports radio, sports on the TV, football, basketball. You know, we had Russell Wilson traded to the Broncos this week. And so there's been nonstop coverage on that. And so anyhow, so for some people, it's sports. For others, it might be something like cats. <laughs> I got to remember Georgie living by a grandpa with her 20 cats. Just couldn't get enough cats. And then for other people, it might be money. I think it was John Rockefeller said just one more dollar would satisfy one more dollar. And he was always chasing more money. And so for some people, it's that way. For others, it might be vacations. You know, can't get enough of vacations. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just take if you had enough money and you had enough vacation time to just be able to get away for a month or get away for two months and or even a year. Take a year's long sabbatical would be nice to be able to do. Some people enjoy reading. And so they just read endlessly and they read through 150 or 200 books by the end of every year. I mean, they just can't get enough of reading while others it's binging their favorite TV show. And so once they finish one, they got to watch another and they got to watch another. And some people spend hours and even days binge watching TV. So there are certain things that you want just more and more and more of. But then there are other things that you can have so much that you just can't get any more. And when you go to the gas pump, you're going to eventually you hear that click. It's going to turn off and you can't get any more in there. And if you keep trying, it's going to start shooting out the, the spout and it's going to start coming down all over the ground. And so there's so much gas in there, you can't get enough. Okay, then same thing when you're pouring a glass, glass of milk, glass of water. You can only go so high. You can only eat so much before you're so full you can't take anymore. I mean, after Thanksgiving meal, then you're laid out on the couch and there's just nothing else you can get inside of you. So while there may be things you can never have enough of, there are also things you can have so much. You can't get more because you already have enough. Now, the, that's the message that Paul is trying to get across to the Galatians in this passage. The Judaizers were leading the Galatians to believe that righteous, the righteousness they had received by faith in Christ was not quite enough, that they needed more righteousness. And so they taught them that the means to getting that righteousness was to keep the dietary laws, to be circumcised, to become a Jew, to keep the holy days, to follow the rules and regulations of the Talmud and all the different laws that they had there. And if they would add enough good works to their faith in Christ, then they could really be righteous before God. They could experience full acceptance with God, a fuller acceptance than they can receive by faith alone. That's what they taught. Well, I want to know you that's I want you to know that still happens today. That people still think that way. People still teach that way. That there are certain religions, there are certain denominations even within the realm of Christianity that teach that, yes, you need Christ, but you also uh, need to make sure that you have good, enough good works if you're going to truly be acceptable before God. If you're truly going to be able to get to heaven, then there are those who say that once you have been uh, saved, 
that that's good, but if you want to be right, more righteous, if you want to be clean before God, if you really want to be acceptable before God, then you've got to follow this teaching. You've got to follow these rules. You've got to pursue this kind of perfection if you really want to be righteous before God. What Paul wants us to know and what he wanted the Galatians to know is that the righteousness of Jesus Christ that you received by faith was all the righteousness that you'll ever need. There's no other righteousness that you could come up with with your own good works in order to be accepted and declared righteous before God. And in fact, what he's going to teach here is that the works of the law and the works of the flesh are incapable of finishing the work of righteousness in your life. See, that's really what these Judaizers were teaching, was that Christ initiates the righteousness, initiates the justification, but the law is what finishes it. And so what happens here is the Galatians, they've been foolishly deceived into thinking that they could be more righteous by keeping the works of the law. If you look with me at verse 1, Paul says, Oh, foolish Galatians. That's kind of harsh. That's a little bit tough. I mean, if somebody came to you and said, oh, fool, really? Now, he's not trying to be insulting here. What the word foolish means is it means to be unintelligent. Well, that sounds pretty insulting. But what it means is to lack understanding, to be void of understanding, to be without understanding. And so he says, oh, foolish Galatians, without understanding. Well, how had they gotten there? He says, who hath bewitched you? This word bewitched, it means to cast a spell on somebody. When you study the, the literal meaning of the word, it's to mislead with the eye by fascination. To mislead with the eye by fascination. See, what Paul is saying here is your understanding has been snatched away by some slick and smooth, fascinating teaching. And now they've got you under their spell. See, Many sincere Bible-believing Christians are being bewitched and led astray by false teaching. There are those who preach the prosperity gospel, that if you'll call this 1-800 number and you send in all your money, then, uh, then you, God's going to make you rich. God's going to bless your life. Then you'll have all those vacations you want. You'll have all that money that you really want. So there are some who teach that. And unfortunately, there are many who are led astray by that. And so they send their money in. And when God doesn't make them rich and when God doesn't give them everything that they want and take away all their problems and make their life easy, then they get disillusioned with Christianity. And then they turn away from Jesus Christ. Why? Because they were brought under the spell of the prosperity gospel. Some are being led astray by Calvinism as the doctrines of grace and God's sovereignty and, and God's glory are presented in this smooth and slick and fascinating theological and intellectual fashion. But what it does is it perverts the truth of the gospel, which is that the gospel flows from God's heart to all the world, not just to a select few. There are some who are being led astray that, well, God is so loving and the, and the scripture clearly talks about God's love. There's no way that he would send anybody to hell. And so I think, I think, I think it doesn't matter what we think. It matters what the word of God says. But there are some who say, I think in the end that God's just going to win everybody over and there's no need for personal faith in Christ. His love will overcome his judgment. But I'm telling you, that's the opposite of what the scripture teaches. And unfortunately, there are many people depending on that 
and in the end they will perish because of it. Some are being led to believe that the church is irrelevant, that there's no purpose for it, that there's no reason to come out on a Thursday night and to spend your time singing and worshiping and fellowshipping and hearing the word of God. There's no need for that in your life. There's no need to be a member of a church either. You can just go and hang out and enjoy everything but not really contribute. There's no need for you to do that. See, these smooth and slick false teachers, what they're really doing is they're hypnotizing sincere believers and leading them astray by fascinating doctrines, by things that are outside the ordinary. And that was exactly what had happened here with the Galatians. He's saying, your understanding has been snatched away from you. Now you don't understand what the true gospel is. You've believed a message that, that yes, you were saved by faith in Christ, but if you're going to live a godly life and you're going to be truly accepted before God, and if you're going to truly be righteous, not just in heaven, but right here in this life, then you need to become a Jew and you need to keep the, the law and, and be circumcised and all those things. And Paul is saying, Paul is saying, you've been bewitched. I mean, you can tell he's not insulting them. He's, he's in anguish, as we'll see in chapter 4, that it, it hurts him that the way that they've been so led astray by these false teachers. So what does Paul do? I mean, here's the, what, what's the truth, first of all, they've been snatched away from? Well, he says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth. What truth is it talking about? He says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. What's he talking about there? Well, the, the phrase there evidently set forth, it means to put up on display for all to see. I mentioned that you had the Russell Wilson trade from Seattle to Denver this week, and immediately the, the sports station here in Denver went and put up a huge billboard that said, Welcome to Denver, Russell Wilson. And I'm sure there were some people driving down I-25 that when they saw that, they were like, What? What do you mean Russell Wilson's in Denver? I didn't hear anything about this. And then they start scrolling their social media and they start going to ESPN and they're like, wow, this is awesome. Russell Wilson is our quarterback. We don't have to deal with 11 different quarterbacks in six years anymore. We're going to be Super Bowl contenders and everybody's all excited about it. Well, the Apostle Paul is saying, when I came to Galatia, I put Christ up on a billboard. And what I put on that billboard was salvation by grace, grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, who is the crucified Savior. That his crucifixion was enough to bring you salvation. And what had they done? They bought it. They said, wow, I've never heard of this Jesus before, but he can make me righteous before God. He can save me. He can put away my sin. This is unbelievable. And they were excited about it and they believed the message and they got saved. And yet now that understanding has been snatched away from them. And they've been led into a lie. So notice what Paul does. He brings them back to their salvation experience. And I'll just say this, that whenever, anytime you get off track spiritually, anytime you get off track doctrinally, the best thing you can do is go back to your salvation and remind yourself how you got saved and why you needed to get saved in the first place. And that's exactly what he does with them. He says, this only what I learn of you. There's one thing I want to know here. Received ye the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What's What's he talking about here? Well, when, they when did they receive the Spirit? 
the moment they got saved, just like you and I do today. There's not a second grace. There's not an additional, additional falling of the Holy Ghost on you. He doesn't come on you and leave you like he does in the Old Testament. Now, you can choose to not let him be in control of your life, but it doesn't mean he leaves you and ceases to indwell you. And so he says, you, you receive the Holy Spirit. That is the evidence of your salvation. So here's really the root of what he's getting at. Did you get saved by the works of the law? or by the hearing of faith. He says, originally, I mean, the, the, whether or not you receive the Holy Spirit is a true testament of whether or not you're really saved. And he's saying, when you receive the Spirit, did that happen by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, obviously it happened by the hearing of faith. It's a rhetorical question. Because what he's saying there is, I evidently set forth Christ crucified among you. I preached the true gospel to you. You heard the word of God. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so he says, I preached the word of God to you, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You received it and thus you received the Holy Spirit. Was that by the works of the law? Absolutely not. How do you know that? Because Paul preached, I mean, specifically when you go to Acts 13, he preached that salvation was by grace through faith in Christ, apart from the works of the law. He mentions that several times in his preaching in Galatia. And so what he's drawing their attention to is when you got saved in the first place, it wasn't by the works of the law. And you know that. You know that. Then he says this in verse 3. Are you so foolish? Are you? Is your understanding this far gone? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Again, when, when we're talking about the receiving of the spirit, were you saved by faith? And now finished by works. But again, this is in the context of justification, being declared righteous before God. So we could put it this way. Were you made righteous by faith, but you didn't have enough? And so now your righteousness has to be finished. It has to be perfected by the law. That word perfect is the, the word epitaliste. Epitaliste. It means to it means across the finish line. Okay, the idea isn't just you come to the finish line and you stop right there, but it's the idea that you run through the finish line when you're in a sprinting race. It means to finish through. That's literally what it means. Well, let me remind you of when Jesus hung on the cross and in his fleeting breaths, he cried out, it is finished. You know what that word is? To die. Same root word as this word here. In other words, uh, what, what was going on here is that, 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 that when the crucified Christ cried out, it is finished, what that means is that he had crossed the finish line for us. That the work, the work had been done. The price had been paid. There was nothing left to do. He left no stone unturned in his sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary. He did every single thing that was necessary to declare anyone who had come to him by faith righteous before God. He did it all. There was, it was not a work that could be finished again. It was not a work that could be finished over. Another work that could be finished more thoroughly. <laughs> Let me put it this way. Imagine with me a, a person purchases a brand new custom built car. And so they've, they've gone to the dealership and they've sat down with them kind of like you do when you buy a home. And, and, and they sit down at the dealership and they start picking all their their accessories and what they want inside the car and what color they want it to be and what details they want to be on the car. So they go through that whole process. It hits the assembly line. This whole thing is assembled together. 
and they've got the frame on it, and now they've got the body on it, and it's painted, and, and the glass is on, the, every nut and bolt is tightened down just to the right torque. They've waxed it, washed it. It is squeaky clean. The leather on the inside is smooth, and it's in pristine condition. It's absolutely perfect. It's ready to go. So now they bring the car out to the customer. They ship it in the truck, and the truck brings it to the dealership, and it's there at the dealership. The customer comes. They drive it out of the showroom there, and the customer is like, this is awesome. It's everything I wanted it to be. It's just the right color. It's just the right tinted glass. It's got just the right headlights on it, just the right spoiler. And then they go inside and they look in there and they're like, oh, I love that new car smell. And they're excited about it. And, and all the accessories are in there. The huge screen is on there for their navigation and their Bluetooth player and all those things. I mean, they're excited. And as they sit there in the car, they're just like, this is awesome. Can we finish it now? That thing's already finished. It's already done. It's tightened down just the way it's supposed to be. It's already cleaned. It's already perfect. There's nothing you can add to this that's going to finish it any better. That's exactly what Paul is saying to them about the work of salvation and the work of justification in their lives. That everything that Jesus had done was absolutely perfect. It was completed. There was nothing you could add to it, nothing else you could do to finish this work. All they needed to do was take a seat and let the car take them where they needed to go. That's all they needed to do. And that was all the Galatians needed to do. Then look at verse 4. Paul says this, Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? What's he talking about there? Well, again, if you were to go back to Acts chapter 13, as Paul comes and he preaches this message that, no, Jesus is how you get saved. Jesus is how you're declared righteous before God. You no longer need the works of the law. Well, that stirred up the Jews. The Jews became irate because now some of their Jewish friends are coming over to Paul's side over here and they're believing the gospel. And now they're eating whatever they want. And now they're not keeping the holy days and, and they're just not doing everything that they were taught to do by the rabbis in the synagogue. And so the Jews let loose on them and they start persecuting. They're chasing Paul and his team from town to town to town. They're, they're, they even leave him for dead, stone him to death at, at Lystra. And then he's resurrected after that. And so uh, but it wasn't just Paul that suffered, evidently. These Galatian believers have suffered as a result of their faith in grace, uh, in grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And so they had suffered. He's saying this. You suffered because the law was done away with. And so if you suffered for that, why are you going back to something that you were suffering for in the first place? He's saying, let me take you back to your salvation. You remember this? You received the Spirit by faith. Uh, you suffered because you weren't going to the law. And then look at verse number five. He says, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What's he talking about there? Well, when they had received the Holy Spirit, evidently they manifested the sign gifts that were very common in first century Christianity. Because that means that when they got saved, they spake in tongues. They evidently performed miracles. They prophesied. They interpreted tongues. I mean, they exercised the full-blown gifts and presence of the Holy Spirit 
in their lives. What he's saying is, is he that ministered to you the Spirit, Christ ministered to you the Spirit, and he worked miracles among you. Did that happen by the works of the law? Or was it by faith? And as they're going back in their lives, they've got to come to this conclusion every single time. It was because of faith. It was because of faith. It was because of faith. It had nothing to do with the works of the law. And so uh, Paul uh, appeals to the spirit gifts that they had witnessed and they'd experienced a conversion, not by the works of the law, but by believing the message that they had heard. And so what Paul's doing here is he's laying out before the Galatians the evidence that their salvation experience as well as their receipt of the Holy Spirit, came not by the works of the law, but by faith in the crucified Christ. Now what Paul's going to do is he's going to turn his attention to Abraham. Why does he do that? Well, evidently the uh, Judaizers had been turning them to Genesis chapter 17, where, where Abraham had to be circumcised in order to be right with God. And so they were saying, see, look at Abraham. He had to be circumcised in order to be right with God. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to show them, actually, he's going to take them back a couple of chapters to chapter 15 to show them this, that justification has always been by faith and has never been by works. Okay, let's look at verse number six. He says, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, if you were to go back to Genesis chapter 15, what happens is in uh, Genesis chapter 12, the Lord calls Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he leads him eventually into the land of Canaan. And there in the land of Canaan, he tells him, I am going to bless you, and I'm going to use you to bless the nation. And I'm going to make your descendants as the sand that is on the seashore. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you this land later on in chapter 12. He tells him, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. And so then it goes on a little bit more. And in chapter 13, he assures his blessing once again to Abraham. And then as we come to chapter 15, there's been a battle that's taken place in chapter 14 between all these kings. And he goes and rescues Lot out of, the, out of Kedar Laomer's hands and, and restores the goods and all of those things. And so now God shows up to him in chapter 15. And he says, Abram, I'm going to bless your life. And I'm going to use you to be a blessing to all the nations. And I'm going to give you this land. And Abram says, God, I know you've said it, but I don't know how it's going to happen. Because my wife is barren and I am old. You haven't given us a child yet. All I have is Eleazar, my servant. And you know what God says? Your wife is going to conceive. I want you to look up at the stars. You see all the stars? That's how many kids you're going to have. And it says in the next verse that Abram believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. That is the verse the Apostle Paul is quoting here. The word accounted here, of course, is a financial term that means to credit something to somebody's account. What this tells us is that Abraham as a, sin, a sinful idolater out of Ur of the Chaldees, who had stepped out by faith and began following the Lord, his account was still bankrupt when it comes to righteousness. He was still a sinner. He still went down into Egypt 
and told to the Pharaoh that his sister, that, that his wife was his sister, and, and he profited off of that. And, and so he was still a, a scared, faithless, selfish man at this point. And by the time it comes to verse uh, chapter 15, then God tells him, no, I'm going to do this. And he believes God. And here's what God does. He credits Abram's bankrupt account with righteousness. He fills it up. This word accounting can also mean to make equivalent. And so what it means is when God looked at Abram's belief, he saw it as equivalent to righteousness. There's nothing there about any works that he did. And Paul's saying that is how he was made righteous. Now, why does he bring that up? Look at verse 7. Know ye, therefore, that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. You know what happens if you're a child of Abraham? You're an heir with Abraham. That means that you are adopted into all the blessings of Abraham. It means that you now uh, become an, an inheritor of all of Abraham's blessings. And we're not just talking about the, the land of Canaan. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about the righteousness of Abraham. That's the context of what he's talking about. Because then you look at verse 8, it says this, And the scripture foreseeing, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. You know what that means? Abram didn't have any clue what it meant when God said, I'm going to bless you and your seed, and through your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He didn't know what that meant. But what the Apostle Paul is telling us is this. The Scripture, the living, breathing Word of God, knew what it meant. And what that passage did in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12 was it preached the gospel to Abraham. And that is this, that you don't have to be a Jew to be made righteous before God. No, God had a plan to declare the heathen righteous. How would he do that? It says in verse 8, through faith, through faith. So then in verse 9, he summarizes it and says this, So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. That means that's already the condition. They have the same blessing that Abraham has. What is that blessing? Righteousness. How did that happen? Through faith. Through faith. And so while the Galatians were being taught that they needed to get more righteousness by the works of the law, Paul taught they had already received all the righteousness that they could have by faith in Christ. In other words, what Christ had finished could not be finished yet again. And so the point that Paul is trying to get across to the Galatians is that the law was incapable of finishing the work of righteousness because they could not get by works what they had already received by faith. And what that means in our lives today is this, that you got to stop trying to earn righteousness and favor with God. It has to stop. Why? Because it'll never happen. Uh, why is that? Because you can't get by works, but what you can only receive by faith. That's, that's what Paul is teaching here. See, our natural tendency as human beings is to try to get our own righteousness. See, if I'll, if I'll keep the works of the law, then I'll be righteous. 
If I'll go to church, I'll be righteous. If I'll get baptized, I'll be righteous. If I take communion, I'll be righteous. If I give enough money, then I'll be righteous. If I give to enough charities, then I'll be righteous. If when I come to the end of my life, if my good works outweigh my bad works, then God will have to accept me because after all, I'm a good person. That's man's natural tendency. That's why all the other religions of the world are so attractive to the mass billions of people. The ones where they have to crawl across glass. Why? Because that means they can be their own savior. Those who can, who can do enough good works in order to get to heaven, it means that they had a part in it. See, we are humanistic, we are self-centered, self-focused, and we want to be our own saviors. But what the scripture teaches is that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. All of our good works that we could possibly do is still smeared by our sinful, selfish nature. Our desire to get things, uh, what, for, get what we want from God. See, that's how we are. As we live our lives, and when I say we, I'm talking about human nature. It says this, I'm going to do all these good works so that I can get what I want from God. What do I want from God? Righteousness, heaven. An easy life, simpler life, less complicated life. I want to get whatever I can from God, and so I'm going to do all these righteous works so that God will accept me, so that I'll be righteous, and so that he'll give me what I want. But the reality is, is that you can never get enough righteousness on your own before God. But you can receive righteousness by faith because Jesus came and he fulfilled every jot and every tittle of the law. He perfectly fulfilled the law, perfectly righteous. And then he went to the cross and he suffered and hung on that cross and he bled and died for our sin. And he took upon himself our unrighteousness and our uncleanness so that if we would come to him by faith in his sacrificial death on the cross, he could give us his righteousness. And that is the only kind of righteousness that can be accepted by God. Why? Because there's no smear of sin upon his righteousness whatsoever. How do you get his righteousness? Believe in the Lord and it shall be accounted unto you for righteousness. See, you can't get by works what you can only receive by faith. Now, some would object here and they would say, hold on a minute. What about what James says? That, that faith without works is dead. And that Abraham was justified by works. We have a contradiction here. Paul says he was justified by faith. James says he was justified by works. He also says that Rahab was justified by works. Well, we've got to understand here that these two people are talking to two completely different audiences. See, James is talking to believers who boastfully lived in a way that the Galatians feared to live, licentiously. That, hey, since Christ has freed us from the works of the law, we can go and live however we want. And so James is coming back to them. What, is, what does he say? If you say you have faith, but you don't have any good works in your life, your faith is dead. That's not a living faith. You know what that means? That's not a real faith. That's not a true faith. That is really no faith at all. See, because what James is going to talk about is he talks about how your works 
justify your faith. What does the word justify mean? To declare right. In other words, your good works prove your faith is right. That's what it means. He says that, that your works justify your faith. The apostle Paul is on the other side of it, and he's saying this, faith justifies you. You see the difference in the conversation there? This conversation is about how your works prove your faith. Your works justify your faith. Paul says faith justifies you. There's a difference there. And so Paul is not saying, and I'm not saying that justification by faith means that it doesn't come with any good works. See, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. You know what that means? We are now a masterpiece in his hand. We are now clay in the potter's hand to shape, to mold. We are now the sculpture in the sculptor's hand to chisel away and to chip away at our lives. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Okay, you know what it doesn't say there? Created in Christ Jesus by good works. There's a difference there. And so what this means, and what Paul's going to get to as we get into Galatians, or actually, let me put it this way. Paul already got there at the end of chapter 2 when he said that Christ living in you will make you righteous. That's, that's the point here, is that it's not that you don't have good works that come along with your faith. It's your works don't make you righteous, but your faith will make you righteous. And so there's a difference here. The difference is that Good works flow out of the life of a person who has been made righteous by Jesus Christ because Christ is living within them, okay? You don't earn righteousness by good works, but rather righteousness by faith in Christ ought to produce good works in your life. Your good works can't finish a work that's already been finished by Christ. See, what you do when you're trying to live according to the law, when you're trying to earn more righteousness with God by coming to church even, when you're trying to earn more righteousness with God by reading your Bible, by spending time in prayer, when you're trying to earn righteousness with God, here's what you're doing. You're trying to tighten the bolts down further. You're trying to wax the car further. You're trying to finish something that Christ has already finished. When what Paul is teaching is you don't need to help Jesus finish your righteousness. Rather, here's what you need to do. You need to just step foot in the car and you need to let Jesus drive and you need to let him take you where he's going to take you and that'll make you righteous. In other words, Jesus is enough. Why? Because he gave you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts you, cleanses you, purges you of sin and changes your life. What he's teaching here is that when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, his blood was applied to you and it cleansed you from all unrighteousness, both past, present, and future. And he gave you his righteousness and that work is totally complete. In other words, you can't get what you've already got. So that means there's no point in trying to got what you can't get or get what you can't, yeah, you know what I'm saying? See, 
rather than trying to follow somebody's rules, somebody's regulations, or some catechism, or someone's rites or rituals, here's what you need to do. You need to simply rest in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and let him take you where you need to be. Then here's what happens. Rather than wearing yourself out trying to earn righteousness and favor with God only to fail time and time again, you happily yield your life to Christ who makes you more and more righteous day by day. You yield to him. See, it's just another angle of what we looked at last week. He takes away the fleshly desires. He gives you whole new desires. Now, being at church is a joy. Giving your offerings is a privilege. Being involved in ministries is a blessing rather than a duty. It's a joy in your heart. You see, you don't need some type of new personality or special abilities or a certain amount of popularity. The reality is this, that we are far more fatally flawed and yet perfectly righteous in Christ than our minds can truly handle. See, we are sinful, selfish people even after our salvation. And because of faith in Christ, he no longer sees you that way. He sees you clothed in the robe of the righteousness of Christ, not because of works, but because of faith. You cannot get by works what you can only receive by faith. And so what that means is this. You need to stop trying to earn righteousness with God by your good works. Stop trying to further tighten down those bolts. Because what Paul is getting at with them is you tighten down the bolts enough, what are they going to do? They're going to break. They're going to strip. It's not going to work the way it's supposed to. And that's what he's going to get at with salvation is when you go back to the works of the law and you try to finish a work that Christ has already finished, your system ends up broken and your Christianity becomes reduced to nothing more than duty, necessity, and demand rather than joy, pleasure, excitement, and fulfillment, living out the finished righteousness of Jesus Christ. You cannot get by works what God freely gives by faith. Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for the great truths of the scripture. I'm thankful, Lord, that we know that we are saved by faith in Christ that we cannot work our way to you. And yet there's still that self-saving mindset that creeps into our Christianity where we still think we can earn favor and acceptance with you. When if we would simply realize you've already finished that work, we would truly be able to enjoy our Christian life and it would not drive us to licentiousness It would drive us to righteousness and holiness because Christ lives in us. And so I thank you for the truth of the gospel. And I pray it would bear witness and make a difference in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
have a verse of invitation here as soon as I can get some music playing here. We'll just take some time to respond to the message tonight. And uh, I encourage you that if God's spoken to your heart, that you do business with him. And, you know, we need to realize that there's nothing we can do to be more accepted with God than we are in Christ. He's all we need. He's enough. And anything that is taught otherwise is a fascinating spell that will only serve to lead you into a lack of understanding of gospel. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you're tuning in online tonight and you've been trying to earn your way to God, it's impossible. But you can receive righteousness through Christ if you place your faith in Him. Please call us, email us, reach out to us. We'd love to take the Bible and show you how you can trust in Christ. Let's take a few moments here to respond. Thank you.